Hi, everybody. It's Jim Eskimen. This is the Jim Eskimen Podcast once again. And once again, I'm sort of uh, speaking really off the top of my head, which uh, I do most of the time. I speak out of my blowhole because I'm a mammal. No, I just I don't have a whole lot to talk about, but I wanted to uh, mention a few things. And basically, I wanted to keep this podcast going because I've started this now. And... Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't have a lot of people out there listening. I, I know that because, you know, we have so many metrics these days, and uh, one can actually look it up. And I see that I have, I don't know, maybe two subscribers, which seems unconvincing to me. I, I feel like I have probably done that myself by accident. I've subscribed to myself twice, and that there's really nobody, nobody out there. Uh, you know, it's like one of those science fiction movies where the guy is uh, alone in New York City, and he's all, but he keeps up the radio broadcast, or he keeps going around and offering, you know, to to give somebody a cup of sugar if they come to his apartment door. Anyway, it's like that. Life is like more and more. Uh, I'm finding is like a science fiction movie, uh, and uh, it can be uh, terrifying if you let it get to to you, which I'm not. I'm not letting it get to me. At the moment, since it hasn't gotten gotten to me, it hasn't come to me, then I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to beckon it any closer than it already is. Well, uh, in in happier news, uh, or maybe not, it's uh, the end of fig season. I've noticed, and um, if you know me, you know that I uh, I'm a bit of a figaholic. I especially like to drive around on my bike, ride around on my bike. It's a proper verb. Yeah, use the word ride when you're talking about a bike. You don't drive a bike, do you? Well, you drive a motorbike, don't you? Sure you do. Uh, anyway, I ride around my neighborhood uh, on my bike looking for fig trees, and I've, I've programmed it into my head. I have a little app in my head that helps me spot a fig tree from, you know, long distance. I, I got it all worked out. I can almost see the computer readout as it goes, beep, 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 and kind of focus in on that kind of leaf, and I go, that's a fig tree right there. And uh, I will take the figs from my neighbors. Yes, I will. If it's hanging over the fence or the wall, you know, I figure it's it's okay. It's just me and the birds eating that stuff, you know. And, of course, the gazillions of species of bugs that also uh, find figs enticing. Have you ever had a fig warm from the tree? I tell you, it's a religious experience. First time I had a warm, fresh fig, not a Fig Newton, which is like... Uh, you know, no comparison. Fig Newtons are great. I got nothing against them. But a real live fig, that is a little bit of heaven to me. So I'll go around the neighborhood and I'll pluck these figs and bring them back in a backpack or something. I won't take dozens of them. You know, the thing about figs is they're sort of self-regulating. If you eat too many of them, your mouth starts to turn inside out. And and it's very unpleasant. Or you get this sensation that, uh, you know, your cheeks are in some kind of rebellion against your lips and, and it's ghastly it's ghastly you see these people on the side of the road sometimes holding up signs saying ate too many figs please help me invert my head uh, so i don't eat too many but i eat a few i love them and uh, fig season i can tell you just from my perusal around the uh, around the neighborhood of tarzana where i live is uh pretty devoid of figs right now they've all gone they all look like fig newtons the ones that are left are very dry and and frankly look like the roadkill of the fig world and so that's that's disagreeable nobody likes that and that's a sad thing because that means another fig season gone and uh i had high hopes uh i know you'll be pleased to know i had high hopes this year for figs that actually grew on my property and um my wife 
uh, for our anniversary, I believe, or maybe it was for Valentine's Day, bought me a couple of fig trees. Babies, you know, saplings. They're not baby trees. <laughs> There's no such thing. But these were young uh, sapling trees, one that would give uh, purple figs and one which would give yellow figs or green figs. And uh, we planted them, and there was much huzzah and a lot of a lot of hope for the future. And I just couldn't wait to have my own figs. Although I bemoaned the fact that my exercise would get cut down because I wouldn't feel the need to ride around all the difficult places in my neighborhood, up hills and down, looking for figs in my ever, ever constant quest. But we planted these bloody fig trees, and you know now they look just like I don't know. They they just decided not to bear. Not only not to bear any figs, but they have now divested themselves of their leaves. And not because it's it's fall, because it isn't fall. It's the end of summer, and they just have withered. I, you know, I don't know what to say. It's a, it's a bad reflection on me. I feel like I'm a bad parent. You know, I've got two dead fig trees that are, well, they're, they're not dead. They're, they're in that state of sonambulance that, uh, again, uh, hearkening back to science fiction films that, you know, the... I don't know, the, the crew of the Nostromo was in or, or, or that, that poor unlucky crew of the planet, the first Planet of the Apes movie where, you know, their, uh, their compression chambers suffered a breach. Um, so they're in kind of a, I hope these fig trees are in suspended animation and will come back to life in the spring, which is a traditional time for plants to come back to life. But right now it's a bloody disappointment. Friend of mine, dear friend of mine, gave me, I don't know, 30 fresh figs from her house my dear friend Virginia, and, uh, you know, they languished in our refrigerator because I ate a couple of them, and then I was like, eh, sure, they're good, but what did I have to do for them? Open the refrigerator door? It's not enough. I need to <laughs> I need to have the hunt. I need to find them and for it to be a little version of Easter. Well, riding around also today on my bicycle, riding, I uh, I saw a home being built up on a knoll, and it looks like a big fancy house. And I marveled at the fact that anybody's building a big fancy house anymore. And and that's a reflection on me more than real estate and the housing community. Because right now it's it's a, I think it's probably booming along again, pretty good. I see a lot of real estate signs. I thought to myself, well, that must be somebody's dream house. They are building their dream house because it looked like someone's dream house. It was up on a knoll, overlooking the valley, big house, big entryway, and you know, all the all the trappings of modern architecture that says, hey, we're doing all right, you know, and hey, come on in, we're going to have a big party. And, uh, you know, who wouldn't want that? But to me, I, because of who I am and the way I feel and the, my perception of the way things are going, gee, I wouldn't, I don't know, I would. it would be very distant from my mind to build my dream house. That being said, you know, I, I can barely afford the house I'm in. But if I had a ton of money, I don't know, to have a house... A big, beautiful house that is your dream house. That concept. For me, it's like, I don't know, I'm a little soured on it. And I thought to myself, riding along in the bike, it's like having, it's like spending your money on a dream coffin. Isn't that a discouraging kind of thought? But I was like, yeah, you know, I want to invest, uh, I really want to put my money towards my dream coffin because that's, you know, that's, the, that's what I want to have someday. And I could just imagine the conversation with the realtor. Well, your current coffin, you're in great condition there. I mean, you've got a lot of equity in that coffin. Are you sure? Because, you know, everything kind of dropped off no, after. No, no, no. That's all, that's all bounced back. You're in good shape now. You're not. I'm uh, not. Uh, what do you call it? 
Underground? No, you're not underground with your coffin at all. I was looking at the specs. I mean, all the coffins in your area, that your neighbors, that uh, they have coffins, are all are all going up in value. They're all higher than they were in uh, 2009. Really? Yeah, no. But the equity in your coffin, I think you should really trade up. You know, I think you should really trade up and get up, get up, get something bigger. You know, get something with a little elbow room. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to envision that. Oh, well, let me show you some of the specs in your neighborhood. Let me... Here, take a look at this pamphlet here. I think you find, look at this. This is a good-looking model. Now, this one's available. Uh, this was owned by, this is a guy who had to sell, uh, so he's looking for a cash deal. Yeah, that is nice. Nice handles. Yeah, those are bronze handles. Anyway, so that's how I felt today looking at it. But, you know, who wouldn't want to have a nice dream house to live in and to throw parties? And uh, it would be marvelous, you know. I, I, I look forward to that time when I have that kind of money to blow. At the moment, we're very lucky to live in the house we live in. It's a great place and uh, happy. I hope you have a house. I hope you have a house that you're you're comfortable in and that doesn't have, you know, people peeking in your windows because the neighbors are so close. I see some of these modern McMansion houses that live in these gated communities, the houses that live there. And, and you know, they're three feet apart. I, I think, what would that be like? You're taking a shower and, you know, you got the window open a little bit and... Soap slips out the window and goes right through your neighbor's, maybe these kitchen windows right there, goes right in, right into the smoothie that he's making. I mean, it could be complicated. What do we do? Saturday night, Tamara and I, I uh, connected up with my old friend Kenichi Abina, the wonderful uh, Japanese performer that uh, won last year's America's Got Talent. Uh, he, he beat me soundly uh, in the early rounds, and but I got to know him before he defeated me. And so we we really had a nice friendship. He's a lovely guy, very sweet man, deserved to win, and just a very gracious fellow and very artistic and creative. So, you know, I uh, we texted back and forth, and, and he offered me tickets for his show that he was doing in Redondo Beach. So we drove down there uh, Saturday night, and, and there was mostly, it seemed like a Japanese audience. And it's a pity he didn't know that because he... He spoke in English the whole time, and his English is is pretty is getting better. But I thought, you know, I think tonight he could have spoken Japanese because there were probably about ten of us that didn't speak Japanese, and and about two thousand of us that did, very fluently. But a uh, great show. He's an amazing physical uh, actor. He's he's forty. He says he might be older. You know, people say they're forty when they're forty two. Um, I did. In fact, I'm still. 42. He's an amazing physical specimen. He can do things that are just mind-boggling with his body, and he put together a very interesting little show. And uh, there were a lot of technical glitches uh, that I think can get ironed out, but uh, it was charming to see him. And he's he's just like a he is like a boy, uh, except a boy that's incredibly limber and, and as strong as an ox, but uh, and with a just a marvelous sensibility of creating things. He he would dance in different characters. And Tamara really had it right. He can take on these characters so fully that they are different individuals. Some of them are female. Some of them are quite sexy. And But he's not like a... Uh, it's not like a cross-dressing act. It's not like a cabaret show. It's very interesting. And I think it's got some great potential. So it was fun. We went backstage and met him and also met Paula Abdul, who was there. Paula Abdul uh, of American Idol fame and, and Paula Abdul fame, music and rock and roll. She had actually been sitting about two rows ahead of us, or maybe one row ahead of us, and I looked at her and I went, that kind of looks like Paula Abdul, but but no, it couldn't be. 
I, when later on, after I had met her backstage, I went, well, why didn't I think it was Paula Abdul? Looks just like her. And I think I didn't think it was her because there was no entourage, no hoopla, no, hey, look at me. No, it was, she's just a woman uh, with her, a few members of her family, it looked like. And not putting on airs, not looking around, not 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 wanting to be noticed. There was no attitude. Plus, she's incredibly tiny, just very very short statured person. And and of course, you know, people on TV always look bigger. You're you're always surprised to see them. Uh, they always look thinner and and shorter than you you're used to seeing them on TV. And Paul Abdul was very very slight, just a tiny person, and very charming. And I I took the opportunity to thank her. She was back there to see Kenichi, as, as was I. But I took the opportunity. I wanted to validate her for always being kind of the gentle voice of sweetness on that American Idol show and never being critical and always being supportive. And I thanked her for that, for all of us, you know, because I don't think she probably gets... I don't think she gets enough validation for validating people. Anyway, so that was our weekend. Then we came home, and we've been watching the, the Roosevelts. We're, on, we're watching the Roosevelt Channel. It's a big channel now. It, they seem to play the Roosevelt documentary 24-7 now on the channel. That we're, I don't even know what it is. Is it TCM? It can't be. It's got to be uh, a history channel or something. Anyway, the Roosevelt channel. Man, amazing. Amazing story. But when it's droning in the background all day, it's, you get an odd feeling that, uh, you know, it's this endless loop of Roosevelt stories. And it makes me feel very, I don't know, a little bit dusty. Speaking of Dusty, here's something I thought you might like. And, of course, this week talking to people who are taking advantage of the tough economic climate to prosper in businesses that are unconventional and uh, not uh, thought of before and are basically weathering difficult times. Uh, on the phone with us now is Daryl Jupe, who's an entrepreneur uh, in Nebraska. First of all, Daryl, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thanks a lot for uh, uh, taking the call today. We're very interested in talking to you, Daryl. Well, you've written a, a book called The Cell Block on My Block. That is a, uh, a book uh-huh. about how you've begun a very, very successful uh, business model where uh, people, any homeowners... Uh, can actually install a small secondary business right in their home, which is aligned with the uh, the, the prison industry. Uh-huh, that's right. As you know, the prison industry is an ever-expanding industry uh, uh, due to the nature of uh, what we call the human element. And um, the need for people to uh, rehabilitate themselves uh, does not have to be do, done in an industrialized way and run by the government. Uh, it's a, a wonderful way for people to get back in touch with their integrity on the street where they live. I see. And you're, you uh, started this business literally right outside of your home. You, took your, uh, you live in a duplex, and you decided to take your garage and not start some sort of manufacturing business, but you actually put bars in it. And uh, uh, how did it happen that you got your first, I, I guess you call him an inmate? It all happened uh, due to uh, the classic... Uh, scenario that sounds very much in the suburbs of a neighbor borrowing the lawnmower. In my case, uh, Roger Dinsdale, who lived next door to me, uh, his name is Roger Dinsdale. Uh, he subsequently became known as inmate number one, triple A five. 
Uh, he borrowed my lawnmower and did not return it. And uh, I took matters into my own hands, and I said, you know, this is constitute robbery. And, of course, I did not want to go through the judicial system. How long, if I can interrupt, how long How long did the was the lawnmower in his possession? How long had he borrowed it for? Three months and four days. Hmm. Well, uh, this was in the winter. No mowing was needed at all. That was made, was made it very, very peculiar. However... Uh, the lawnmower was out of my possession for a good long time, and I came to the conclusion I have to take matters into my own hands, and that, along with uh, a very interesting zoning rights, I realized my garage could very much be brought into a penal institution. Mm-hmm. And you got your whole family involved in this, too, isn't that right, to serve as uh, as guards, and uh, your wife is a co- sort of a co-warden, is that the way it's uh, worked out? She's a, she's a deputy co-warden, and my eldest graduated uh, from community college, is now in the criminal justice system, uh, of course, as, as decreed by me. Uh, she's one of our main guards. Now, how many, you've got, uh, you've expanded a little bit. You still live in the same place, and you still mostly have everybody under one roof there, according to your book. Uh, how many uh, inmates uh, do you have right now? I'm, I currently have three inmates. I have a member of the uh, Montebello Bridge Club. Uh, she's uh, incarceration right now. And she's a female, so it's a, it's a, a co-ed uh, kind of uh, prison, is that right? Yes, it's a co-ed prison, um, and uh, it is uh, minimum security, you could say. However, you know, uh, again, you know, it's lights out at 6 p.m., uh, lights on at 6 a.m. Sorry, I was going to ask about the level of security. Now, it is it is a, a minimum security prison. Do they have any kind of exercise uh, area, outside yard, or, or any other privileges? Oh, yes. We converted the dog run into an exercise job where they can do wind sprints, uh, they can get sunshine, take walks, uh, but then it's right back into the garage at 6 p.m., lights out, and uh, and they're in. You know, and as I said, this woman in Montebello, she's serving, she's on day 10 of a two-week sentence, and so she'll be released soon back into society, a changed woman. Well, now, is this a sort of a business model that you think could extrapolate out to other people that are having difficult uh, financial times? Is this actually, a, have you found it to be a worthy sort of way to add additional income to take care of some of your, your necessities? Oh, yes, I do indeed, uh, because we uh, obviously, uh, we charge the inmates, and they do work for us around the house, uh, so there's cost-benefit there. Mm-hmm. What sort of work do they do? Uh, I, had, uh, I had awnings. Uh, that were coming loose. I had some clapper that was uh, moldy and uh, and uh, starting to splinter. Mm-hmm. One of my inmates last week did a wonderful job laying down some Spanish tile in a guest room. So I guess it's worked out to your advantage. And uh, on the level of work, uh, you're happy with the level of work? I'm very much impressed with the level of work and, uh, and their level of rehabilitation. Well, I was going to ask about that, too. Are you finding that this having those jobs and, and, and letting them work off to some degree their time is beneficial for them as, as inmates? Oh, yes. We try to teach them the skills so that they're much better when they're on the outside, when they're out of the Gray Bar Hotel, so to speak. Tell us about that guard tower that you've had put up in the front yard. In the uh, in, Is it a, a sycamore tree? It's a sycamore tree. It was, uh, it was my youngest son's uh, treehouse when he was growing up. And I realized it's a perfect vantage point to watch for any escapees that might happen. Because as you know, when nighttime rolls around, people do pine for their homes. And in many instances, a lot of my inmates are on block, uh, live on the same block. 
that are just incarcerated on the same block in which they live. Uh, Wilbur Donovan, who I had last week, we had our first prison break. Really? Oh. And I was not proud of that record, but mm. uh, he escaped at 4 a.m. in the morning. How did he, uh, how did, he did he tunnel his way out, or did he pry open a, a window? or? Pried open a vent near an air conditioning duct, and uh, clever, very, very clever. He had fashioned uh, using pillows and an old spare tire, so I thought he was asleep. You mentioned before that, uh, that you'd, you'd made a mistake and you no longer have all the tools in your garage that you had sort of uh, carelessly left behind that might facilitate this kind of uh, escape. That's right. I had an air compressor, tools. I, uh, oh my goodness, I had a sawzall. And, you know, and I, it was a silly thing that to leave all these things in the, in the, in the garage. I subsequently uh, removed just about everything except for the mini-fridge. Anyway, and so our breakouts are far more reduced now. Well, I guess it's a learning experience all the way around. It is. I'm learning, I'm learning what it's like to be the head of a prison system of my own, and the people on my block are learning how to rehabilitate themselves to become far better citizens. I guess you don't get so many people borrowing your lawnmower anymore. I certainly do not. Any plans for the future? Anything you plan to do? Or do you, are you going to expand beyond three inmates? Yes. I'd like to expand up to a half dozen, and then I'd also like to open another prison uh, in a beach retirement home uh, that my parents live in now uh, uh, in the Fort Lauderdale area. Well, we all wish you a lot of luck with that, Mr. Jupe. Thank you so much. Stay on the right side of the law, young man. Good luck. Do you ever feel out of step with the people in the world? I do sometimes. Quite often I feel out of step. I sometimes feel like I'm a little too old or a little too young or in a funny... Born in 1959, which was an incredible year. So much stuff happened in 1959. Sputnik happened. Uh, A lot of other things I should really commit to memory. Uh, But I was born in 1959. Um... I feel out of step sometimes with the public opinion and what people are into. Sometimes I feel like I'm in an auditorium where, you know, the interlocutor, the MC, whatever, says, uh, all right, everybody, let's take a random poll. Everybody raise your hand if you would like. Uh, you've got two choices. You can have lemon cake or you can have electric shock. Which would you like? And everybody raises their hand for electric shock. And it's just me and another kind of creepy looking guy who looks like he's already been electric shocked too many times. Raise our hands for the cake. That's how I feel sometimes. I, it makes me value my friends more and more, these people that for whatever reason, for 20, 30 years, are people that I can still talk to and we can still find agreement about and we still you know, like the same things. It's fun. It's fun to have friends. I've always felt friendship was, was one of the great pleasures of life, maybe one of the supreme pleasures of life, to have another person who understands what you're saying and... Uh, Gosh, so I, I trust I have some friends out there who understand what I'm saying even when I'm blathering on like this. Hey, I've been watching um, rough cuts of the impression, guys. I hate to bore you with this again, but uh, that's kind of the, the exciting thing that's on the horizon, the impression, guys. Uh, October 14th, we're supposed to launch all our new episodes, and I've been watching them come off in rough cuts, and I have to say uh, writer-director Ben Shelton is doing a heck of a good job, heck of a good job. And uh, they're very pleasant, very enjoyable, and you'll, you'll, hopefully you will love them. I hope you, we will be interested enough to watch more than one. Also, it looks like I'll be working for uh, my friends at JibJab again, doing a special project about which I will not say anything at this point, but it looks very, very interesting and very, very positive. And, uh, you know, 
hopefully it'll be a, a lot of uh, very engaging work that I will be very proud of. I think it will be. I love those guys, uh, Evan and Greg Spiridellis, the founders of Jib Jab, two young men from New Jersey who are now, you know, two family guys who have lots of kids and uh, a wonderful life. And they're great guys. Really, really like them a lot, and they certainly, um, they certainly have helped me. And uh, I trust I have uh, also reciprocated at various times, and I look forward to future reciprocations. Future reciprocations to you, too. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, One of these days, I will actually engage another human being to come and talk with me and be interviewed or whatever. There'll be another voice other than mine or other than my other voices or other than Tate, uh, with whom I always improvise. And I hope you enjoyed our little bit. Thanks to Tate. Thanks to Jeff Levin for the music. And I will speak to you guys soon. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. 